Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots Monday Morning, where we go over media fails that we watch on the Sunday morning news shows uh, that we watch so that you don't have to. I'm here. I'm Katie Helper, co-host of Useful Idiots, and I'm here with my Useful Idiot co-host, Aaron Mate. How are you doing, Aaron? Great. A lot has happened since I just spoke to you uh, 20 seconds ago on the air. So Yeah, a lot of developments. We're really excited. I will, I'll break all that down over the course of this hour, but man. It's been it's been crazy. Yeah, it's been crazy. Yeah. Everyone tweet this out. Everyone share this out so the people know. The people know where it's happening. The people know where it's at. Um, so let's take our first caller. Laura. Good morning. Good morning. Katie. Good morning, Aaron. I have a take on Roe versus Wade. We've had four times in the history of that I've been alive where the Democrats could have codified this into law, but chose to use it as a political football to gain votes and or to do what exactly is happening right now, distract from the Ukraine war. Under President Carter, under President Clinton, under Obama and Biden, we've had this opportunity where they've had a supermajority and could have done it, but didn't. We have a one-party system, and its control system is the media. We have been propagandized for so long that both parties have definitely worked on cleaving our nation into two separate right versus left and everyone's fighting over social issues that, yes, are very important. But the overarching issue here is, number one, in my opinion, because I'm old, time reveals itself and truths eventually get declassified. So you get a better perspective of things. We started out as a colony and continue to be nothing more than a colony. We are made of individual dominated parts that we sewed together as like a patchwork quilt. One state to the next, to the next, to the next. The silver lining I can only come out of this Roe versus Wade going back to the states is... As a first-generation American, I was born here in Alaska just after the first, I'm sorry, the Second World War. Both grandfather and father fought in First and Second War. Where I'm originally, five families originally, all Norwegian, and were saved by the Russian army. We immigrated to Alaska because it was a lot easier and We made an established life, but as immigrants, we had to understand and know the Constitution. We had to know questions about our country that I can guarantee safely that at least 80, maybe 85% of the nation doesn't even know how to navigate those documents, much less what they stand for. By going back to states It is now up to the women and the men on both sides to debate these issues 
fight this out. If you want to do something more than screaming into the ether of the streets, donate to your ACLU, your local ACLU, your local um, powers. Do what we used we we did uh, the women did during the suffragette movements. Yes, it's a fight. Hunger you know strike. Why? Go on hunger strikes. This is the this is the problem. The United States um, Americans have never had to endure things like sanctions that destroy other people's nations. That's nothing more than. Um, it's a war crime. It's, it's siege warfare. 60 years Cuba can tell you what it's about. But we sanctioned Russia. We get all this blowback because, well, that's what happened. The United States and Europe decided they're going to just go ahead and do this. We're starting to feel the problems. Europe is going to really fall, for literally financially fall. Germany's on the edge. Those things we cannot control. What we can control is starting to engage as citizens of this here United States. The Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Emancipation Proclamation give us the powers that we need at hand. And it's up to us citizens, it's mandatory as a citizen, to create the country you want to have. And having open debates, honest open debates, and whatever side wins, wins. But there's concessions always to be made. There's always victories to be had. But unless people engage in their own states and their own state constitutions and start working as they're supposed to, as citizens of this country, you don't just go out every two to four years and vote and go call it a day. It sadly takes things like this to bring it down to the bare bones and remind Americans that you have a responsibility to maintain this nation, to build this nation, not just through your sweat, effort, and taxes, but to make these elected officials who are our employees do our bidding over the corporations because we outnumber them damn things. And if yeah, you don't participate in those corporations' games, don't use their their products, do nationwide rolling strikes, do whatever it takes to get your will heard and abided by and bring them to heal. They're our employees. Yeah. So we fight. One way or the other. I don't care who's fight. You know, on this issue, I am not going to tell one woman or another woman how they should live their life. I don't live their life. I've lived my own old life. And it's got its own story. But the fact of the matter is, is it has to be had out. It has to be hashed out. And then once it's hashed out, I'm sick and tired of seeing people being polarized by what they know is propaganda against their neighbors and dividing ourselves. And the only ones that are winning are the ones at the top. And they use the worst tools cynically against us because they know it works. 
So get smart, turn off your television, educate yourself, be grateful that you were born into a country that allows you to do what you can do while you can still do it. This is a time to strike for the people. People need to gather together, realize what their, their worth is, and realize that each other have been placed into red or blue little boxes, not the extreme sides of each other, but have more common with each other than they don't. Well, thank you, Laura. I, I think that's true. We do have to uh, look at our shared commonalities, turn off our TVs, and turn on useful idiots. Because that's a propaganda-free zone. Except for our own propaganda, maybe, but not corporate propaganda. Thank you for allowing me to rant. Um, I love sure. everybody, and Listen, we are birthing a new multipolar world, and it will not be stillborn as long as we work hard together for common cause. Ooh, and common okay. cause is where we will always win. Amen. Thank you. you, Laura. Thank, thank you, you for yeah, your thank you. thank you for your platform and all you do. Thanks thank so you. much. Thank you. I, I like, by the way, I like that uh, we're going to take the next caller, but uh, I do. I like that we are birthing a multipolar world. Uh, because that's going to, you know, when you div- when you give birth to a multipolar world as opposed to a unipolar world, that's that's like triplets. So it's going to be a more painful birth, but it's worth it. Okay. Sam. Hi, Sam. Hey, I hope you can hear me okay. Yep. Oh, I was just going to say um, real quick, Aaron, when you were pointing out these things about like why Boris Johnson doesn't mention Yemen or the occupations of Israel. Buddy, I hate to tell you this, but remember, according to Paul Mason, those are Putin talking points. You got to stop using Putin talking points by pointing out obvious facts. That's true. You're right. That's true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's just how that works nowadays. If you point out hypocrisy that, you know, I, in an ideal world that we're supposed to be controlling our own government with, you're you're just a Putin propagandist. So, you know, take I think take from RPB, the Russian playbook, the, RPB, that's right. the Russian playbook, obviously, yeah. you know, I'm, yeah. uh, so Paul Mason called it. You're just a Putin puppet, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's actually that's an amazing clip uh, where. um Owen Jones, who's a British, you know, leftist journalist who actually is like, he's on Paul Mason's side. He supports the proxy war in Ukraine, basically. Yeah, he, he's just consistent about it. He's saying, yeah. listen, I can oppose this and I can support that, but I'm consistent in this. But, you know, Paul doesn't believe in consistency. It's uh, my way or you must work for Russia. Well, it's so funny. Paul Mason's so crazy and so, you know, just captivated, like just like in, uh, captured by Russophobia that when Owen Jones tried to call him out for kicking, he, because Paul Mason wanted to kick out labor members who uh, criticized NATO, who criticized NATO for their role in the Ukraine crisis. And so Owen Jones was like, if you want to expel them for being critical of NATO, why, why do you not supporting expelling labor members who support the Saudi war in Yemen? And Paul uh, and Paul Mason replied that that's a Putin talking point. And Owen Jones was like, "Excuse me," and for you know, so even for Paul Mason, Owen Jones, who's like agrees with him on so many things, is still repeating Putin talking points. That's how that's how crazy Paul Mason is. 
Well, yeah, I mean, look at his crazy map person. I mean, that was something you would see in a movie with a guy with a tinfoil hat. You know, that type of mind map he had made where just a slight tepid criticism put the the Navarro media so far to the on, on the spectrum of being directly involved with, quote unquote, Russia. And I'm like, wow, that's uh, normally when we see that anywhere else, we say, man, I hope that guy gets his medication again. But uh, I guess in the BBC world, that gets you a promotion. Uh, just real quick, I wanted to point out just how funny it was that uh, Boris Johnson had to start his history at World War II. He's like, well, America has a history of doing the right thing. And then it's like, oh, he starts at World War II, and then he only stays there. And it's like, right, because you understand after every after World War II, every war we've been in has ne- not been an ideal of we're doing it for humanitarianism. Right. It's, it's just whatever resource we want, we jack, and then we'll justify it later. Yeah, that's so the, just, <laughs> the historic sweet spot, World War II. Yeah. Yeah. World War II, and right. then we, we just forget everything else. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say I always love your show, guys. Katie, I love okay. that. Uh, I love the your show that you had um, last week around 8 p.m. Uh, but here's just a quick thing is what I find interesting, finally, I think I have seen a turning point in people I know who are the type of mentality of vote blue no matter who. Even they have come to a point where they cannot justify voting blue anymore. And then these are people who will have voted Hillary, who would, you know, push that Biden was going to save us from fascism, et cetera. And I I simply just asked them, I said, all right, well, now, you know, they had a chance to codify this into law. Biden could have at least fought it. And uh, as as your guest had, I'm sorry, I forget your guest's name, who had pointed out, Lincoln challenged the Supreme, uh, challenged the court, uh, FDR challenged the court. Biden could easily challenge the court. There's nothing in the Constitution that says we can't, uh, what do you call it, pack judges. And yeah, that's that may come back and bite us, but we got to do something. But finally, I asked these people who vote blue no matter who. And I mean, these are one friend, I, I won't say his name, but he worked vehemently on the Hillary Clinton campaign. I had finally asked him, I said, all right, listen, you want me to vote blue? But why? We controlled the House. We controlled the, during Obama. We had the majority. We had the Senate, the Congress, the White House. Why wasn't this done once and for all? And he just couldn't give me an answer. I, he said, well, for the first time, I can't tell you to vote blue no matter who. Even he's struggling to explain why you should vote Democrat. And I, I really don't see like people being able to look at this anymore and say, oh, OK, we're going to get you back into power because it's like, well, you were in power and you did nothing. Fight for something. I mean, my personal view is if Biden wants to attack the gas crunch, he could easily you know, threaten these these uh, companies and say, I'll, in, I'll implement the uh, War Powers Act and you'll be state owned by tomorrow if I want to. But if you're not going to fight, don't expect people to fight for you. It's just not going to happen anymore. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. That, by the way, that guest that you mentioned was Samuel Moyne. Samuel uh, Moyne. Thank you. I, I apologize. I oh, did no, love no. the interview. I just forgot the name. <laughs> totally fine. I don't. It's, it's no shame there at all. Um, you but, know, can I say, you know, for me personally, I have to overcome some kind of internal roadblock to disagree with something that rhymes. So for example, even though I don't agree with the principle of vote blue, no matter who, I mean, it's still the fact that it rhymes, it carries some appeal to me that like, I have a hard time resisting. Same thing with if, oh, like liquor before beer, uh, no beer before liquor, never fear. Or what is it? Um, never been sicker. Never been sicker. Never well, been that's sicker. True. Thank that's you. true. Yeah. I mean, so I, I see where you're coming also, from in that. But also if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Right. So even though that was so transparently ridiculous, there's still something about it that's hard to resist because it rhymes. So that's my tip to everybody. If you want to bring someone to your side on whatever cause it is, try to find a clever rhyme. It works. It really does. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, I don't want to take up the queue. Uh, take care, guys, and I can't wait to talk to you next week. Oh, and week. Sam, make sure. Thanks for tuning into this. Thanks for tuning into the Katie Helper Show, guys. Just want to recommend for your own lives. You got to subscribe. YouTube.com slash useful idiots. Also, YouTube.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Also, YouTube.com slash what is the gray zone, Marin? Uh, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? Not yeah. a priority. No, no, please. It's a big priority. You, you can find the gray zone on YouTube. I just don't know the channel name. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, Schnarf. Welcome back, Schnarf. Hey, Schnarf. I love the way my name. I think it's funny. Yeah. All right. You know, it was really funny last week when you called into my call-in show and Brad was like, I totally agree with Schnarf. Take on, on the actual abortion situation. But what I wanted to bring up is that corporate America is already reacting to this and they're offering their employees packages that will allow them to circumnavigate the, the, the legal system in their state to be able to get an abortion. And I, I find it kind of interesting that they're they're using this as some kind of a means to make themselves look so good, right? Like Microsoft came out, Apple. Uh, there's a bunch of people that came out right away, you know, on the forefront of of being on the sides of their of their female employees and giving them that benefit, right? The way I look at it is the pendulum swings both ways in America. We go from like you know the, the opposite side of the neoliberal coin. So I think what you have here is you had Joe Biden with a popularity equivalent to like smallpox or AIDS, and nobody was really excited about his campaign. So they had to come up with a way to kind of coalesce around him, right? What does Joe Biden stand for? I mean, he doesn't stand for shit, right? So you have to come up with something for, for, for the voting population to get coalesce around. And I think that's what it is. Um, I think they kept it in their back pocket for a long time and, you know, they, they want to make sure that he gets another four years so they can continue his agenda to go back into a Republican agenda. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know. I don't know how to like. I, I know people are very emotional about this issue, but I think it's a giant distraction. I and it really is because at the end, own civil liberties by the second. I think this is just a way to get suburban women to come out for Sleepy Joe and for everybody to to say that's the reason. Schnarf, you keep breaking up for like a America couple, like over their five. own bodies are totally gone in certain states. But guess Sorry, yeah, I had to remove you because you keep cutting out and we can't yeah, understand yeah. what you're saying. Uh, but did I hear Schnarf say that the abortion issue is a distraction? Did I... Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's an interesting take. Yeah, I, I, I think that it's a false dichotomy. I don't think we I think we don't have to hand it to the Dems to acknowledge that this is an important issue. We don't have to stop talking about war to acknowledge that this is an important issue. Um, and we I think it's an opportunity to honestly to shit on the Dems. Um, it's an opportunity to call them out. It's an opportunity to expose their complicity and we can walk and chew gum at the same time. That's All right, Amanda, and we have a long queue, so we're going to try okay. to get to as many people as possible. So you we might moderate. Even, You're better at that than I am. We might even impose some time limits on these yeah, calls. Aaron, do that. Okay, Amanda, you are up. 
Good morning. Good morning. I will, Good morning. I will be as quick as possible. Um, of course, as everybody in the call in, appreciate the work that you guys are doing to get information out. Um, I kind of agree with the previous caller that abortion, this abortion ruling is a distraction from the really more distressing rulings about Miranda, that actual innocence isn't a cause to be able to get a retrial. I mean, there's a lot of very significant rollback of rights, more than just the abortion right. The other thing is, you could frame this, if you look at it from the 30,000 foot angle, I mean, the federal government doesn't protect our right to health care at all. Why should it protect our right to a specific procedure of health care? I mean, I'm not saying that it shouldn't protect it. I'm saying that it doesn't. So if government provided health care and this was, this was then the debate, that's another, you know, that's a whole other ball of wax. And like the first caller said, we have identified the problem. She stated it really clearly and well. Now we just have to figure out, because there's no, not really many people living who were around in the movement when things happened in the 30s and 40s, and they were pushing and got all the social programs. We've got to figure out how to do it. So that's why I appreciate calling and having these kinds of discussions with people like you who have been paying close attention and putting out the information, and people who've been paying attention to all the information and processing it. So... That's all I have to say. I hope you guys have a great morning. Thank you. You too. I guess, I don't know. It's like a losing bat- battle. For I, I'm trying to f- figure out how to make the case that it's a false dichotomy. We don't have to say it's a distraction. We can acknowledge it, but not be played by it. I mean, I think being played by it would be saying vote blue no matter who because of this, or we don't, we can't criticize Dems because of this. But I think that, uh, I don't think it's like a small deal to, be forced to carry a pregnancy to term against your own will. Um, I And it's a very much an economic issue because guess who's not going to be able to get out of state to do that? It's not going to be the affluent. It's going to be the poorer um, people who can't do that. So it really is an attack. And I think we can see this as, I think that I understand why, because I think the Dems have been so opportunistic with this and they've played this as a card to not have to deliver on economic issues, but I think we can also acknowledge this is an economic issue and that we need to be seeing this as part of a larger democratic abandonment and hypocrisy. And uh, yeah, again, do both at the same time. Glenn. Hi, Glenn. Please unmute yourself by hitting the mic icon. Okay, there you go. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. Wonderful show. Uh, I'm thinking uh, of a media fail, which uh, is uh, that no no one talks about January 2nd. And that was when uh, McConnell and Pelosi's homes were both vandalized. And uh, including a severed pig's head on on Nancy's uh, doorstep. Uh, and I can't think of a more laughable pretext than uh, of, than that for uh, justifying what turned out to be uh, $2.1 billion in uh, capital security funding uh, 
in July. So um, I'm just wondering what, uh, why it is that that, that dis- disappeared from, uh, from the media, why there was no follow-ups. I mean, you're thinking, you know, two of the arguably uh, most uh, powerful human beings on the planet and there wasn't even uh, doorbell uh, camera footage of the perpetrators. Honest, I'm going to be honest. I don't even know about that. Yeah, me either. First, I've heard of it. Crazy. Of it. And- yes, uh, it, it's uh, uh, CNN uh, reported on it on January second, and uh, I, I'm I'd be gratified if if you uh, finally decide to Google it and. Uh, and and uh, oh, to be, uh, be fair, interested to know what you think. It's I mean you're you're just telling us if we Google it won't be finally because we just found out. Yeah, exactly. But, it's it's not, it's not as if we've been resisting yeah. googling something we didn't know about. Yeah, you know. Give us some. Well, grace. So, sorry, I'm a bit nervous, uh, but uh, I, I, I got it. Well, on ABC it says Nancy Pelosi's home vandalized with pig's head, fake wow. blood. That is disgusting because uh, absolutely disgusting that you would ever do that to a pig. (laughs) You know, I love pigs, guys. I love pigs. It's why I don't eat red meat or or pork because I absolutely adore pigs. They're cute and they're smart and they roll around in mud, not because they're dirty, but to to be cool, to keep cool, which is so cute. So, yes, it is. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. Sunny. Sunny, unmute. Oh, oh there you go. Hi, I just want to thank you for uh, watching the Sunday morning news so I don't have to. Thank you for thanking us for doing that. And Katie, I do think you're a total shitlib, but that's okay. You're one of the good ones. What makes me a shitlib? Because you don't care. It doesn't. It doesn't affect you. Like when you went on that talk show with all the women and you started um, saying, well, it doesn't really affect me. Of course, it doesn't affect you. You you don't have to worry about health care. You don't have to worry Wait, about a lot of things. Excuse me. When did I say it doesn't affect me? You I mean, said I'm not... it during that show. With the, I forget what it was, the Summit of Women or whatever the hell it was that you were on. And it was all a bunch of shit libs and you were just agreeing with them. So Brianna Joy Gray is a shit lib. I just want to get this straight. Brianna never said that she oh, but was. But we're all a bunch of. I'm just. I'm no, just... she was. She was focusing on third parties. You weren't. You were just. Oh yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, we gotta. We gotta stick with the Democrats. Well, I'm just telling you that you just said that we were Maybe all. You're wrong. I, like I said, you're one of the good shit libs, but you're still a shit lib because it doesn't affect you. And of course, uh, you don't care. Framing. So only people who are economically feeling the brunt, which I've said, I'm very. Yeah, I think they have a a more of a reason to get it and and uh, leave the Democratic Party altogether. Okay, Sonny. All right. We've we've you've made your point clear. Uh, Do you have any questions or comments or just come here to uh, share insults? No, I came here to share an insult to her. She wanted to know. why. Okay. All right. Thanks, Sonny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bye bye. All right. Thing is, I should, I, I'm torn over whether to engage. I just find that argument so. First of all, Sonny was being dishonest. He misquoted me. Then he he mischaracterized the panel as all shit libs, quoting him. Then he said Bri- Brianna wasn't one because 
she didn't say that she wasn't, I don't remember, because she was third party, not just Democratic Party. And uh, sorry, I shouldn't, I shouldn't mock him for being Bostonian. But uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I should keep my cool. But it just annoys me because if you want to talk about, uh, I've had third party people on, I'm actually performing at a Green Party thing. And uh, the idea that, I don't know, what do you think of that? Do you ever get this, Aaron, that it's like you get the argument that you're privileged? Uh, yeah, sure. Of course. Which I am. Of I course. don't think, but yeah. Yeah, I think I, because I was privileged, I didn't support. Anyway, we, I don't, I can cut this out. It's annoying. Yeah, look, it's, it's a silly discussion because uh, it doesn't lead to anywhere constructive. It just means that it's just, it's used to try to silence people. From saying anything, and so so, what's the point in saying anything at all? If you if you're at all, I mean, if you benefit from any kind of privilege in any way, then you shouldn't speak on the topics that you are interested in. It's just it it makes no sense. It's it's silly. So Higher, worth, you, worth ignoring. YouTube thinks shitting on the Dems, so that's another thing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay, Paul, you are up. And if you call us a shit lib, Paul, okay, it's over. Yeah. It's over. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, Paul, you're up. And Paul, if you're there, there's a microphone button in the bottom right that you press to unmute yourself. Hey, sorry about that. It took me a while with the uh, the connection. Um, off off topic, maybe a little bit. Did you guys see the uh, the? Uh, story about uh, Belgium returning the single gold tooth of Patrice Lumumba to Congo. I did see that. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if you would like to include that on your. Isn't that weird? Um, I thought that was the most horrific news. Wouldn't that be? I mean, besides what's going on right now I with abortion, would, but I think that would be an isn't that terrible. It's both. <laughs> It's all of them. It's it's uh, Democrat, Sec, Republican. It hits every note. Yeah, well, that's a, a that's, a, that's, a, that's a good candidate. So what happened, as I understand it, so Patrice Lumumba, the uh, leader of the Congo, uh, was assassinated by by Belgium, right? And the CIA. And the CIA. Well, the CIA was definitely trying to kill him, but I think Belgium yeah. got to him first. And then after they assassinated him, his body was doused with acid, I think, right? Uh, okay, so the CIA uh, got $100,000 from the Eisenhower administration, worked directly with Belgium, yeah. tag team operation. They killed him. They they shot him. Then they buried him. Then they dug him back up. Then they melted him in acid. And one of the Belgian officers who, who helped with the assassination and the melting down of his body kept a singular gold tooth. Mm. And then... They gave it back, but they gave it back. They put it in a child-sized coffin to cover up the fact that they were only giving back one tooth. Yeah. And there was no apology. And, of course, no reparations. So sick. And for anybody that knows, like, the history of Belgium goes back to King Leopold the second. That's why the EU is headquartered in Brussels. Mm-hmm. It's the banking capital of the world. Because they extracted so much wealth and rubber out of Congo, yep. 10 million Congolese possibly dead. And then the U.S. rolls in with, uh, with <laughs> again, with uh, uh, Paul Kagame of Rwanda, 
and takes over Congo again. And we've seen in the last couple decades with the cell phones and electric cars, the extraction of Congolese minerals result in another 10 to 12 million dead. And this story is just like a blip, you know, it's just like, like it doesn't even register. And then, um, you know, in fe- back in February, it was uh, 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 Ellen DeGeneres, you know, dances with Hillary and, you know, normalizes George Bush. She shows up in Rwanda and puts adds on to the Diane Fossey Guerrilla Center uh, with her spouse and praises Paul Kagame as being a brilliant leader and says that she's planning on retire- building a retirement house in Rwanda. And, you know, this is this like horrific greenwashing, rainbow washing, uh, like, like global carenness. Uh, I've, I've never seen, um, the, and, and the, these things don't get covered at all. No, so I used to live in Rwanda and Uganda. I've called in before we talked about that, but I just wanted to make you guys aware of that story. So while we're, while we're discussing abortion and yeah, it does matter and it's very, very important like we're, we're doing the hor- most horrible shitty things on the global stage, not just in Ukraine, but the Africans are trying to absolutely Ethiopia right now. Absolutely. So I just wanted to like, hey, over there, there's also another incredibly ridiculous story. Of US Paul, Empire. we appreciate it. That that is sure. a crazy story. So thank you for yeah. bringing it to our attention. Thank you. Yeah, oh no problem. Okay, love you guys. Okay, Thanks. Tom. Hello. Hello. Hey, fellow Shitlip here. Uh, Good chiming it. Now, anyway, uh, I I just wanted to say I love your guys' show. Uh, It's always fun to listen to you guys uh, talk about the different uh, different issues we're facing. Um, um, I just wanted to say the uh, the Sam Harris interview with David French that was really good. If you guys get a chance to listen to that. They talk about the uh, the Trump phenomenon and how he, uh, you know, how he was able to steal voters, basically, because he's he's just a better social, um, you know, he, he can use social contagion to his advantage. Hmm. Well, I generally don't check out anything by Sam Harris or David French, but, uh, you know, thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, and and also on the uh, I just listened to this All In podcast with um, they have um like venture capitalists on, and they were talking about like the Russian sanctions and about how, you know, these sanctions how just what an utter failure they are. I mean, Russia is oh, sure. able to they're able to sell you know commodities at high prices to India and China, and the ruble now is at an all time high. Yes. So their purchasing power is basically higher than it ever could have been without these sanctions. And just like, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people need to know that, too. And just Absolutely. Realize, Absolutely. Just, you know, realize how bad this actually is and how it's just not helping at all. Yeah. I mean, Joe Biden thought Americans would get excited when he kept saying that the ruble is going to be rubble. And Ooh. as if most Americans care about crushing Russia's economy. But even on that front, they ha- can't even do that. They failed on that. To the point where actually, this was reported by Bloomberg recently, that there are people in the Biden White House secretly trying to get people to uh, override certain Russian sanctions to make sure that that grain and fertilizer can be exported. 
So there are people in the Biden White House that are actually trying to undermine their own sanctions on Russia because it's been so disastrous for the global economy. That's how, that, that's how smart these people are. We're really ruled by some special people. So, Tom, thank you for the call. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. A- Anthony. Hey, I can't believe, um, you know, that thing about Tapper and uh, Boris Johnson. They said, oh, how do you stop Ukraine fatigue? Uh, maybe because of the rising costs. Well, I mean, even if the economy was getting better because of this, I'm not for it. So, I mean, the, it's not fatigue. It's it's dread. It's loathing. It's fear and loathing. I mean, we're so that's funny. But, you know, Tapper's got to make it seem like we're stupid and we uh, just care about the price of gas. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, that's they have such a contemptuous view of working people because they don't represent them at all. They just represent the political elite. And so the question of how do we get the plebes on board without uh, them revolting against us, is to, that's their top priority. Yeah. Well, and then I had another thought about the uh, Roe versus Wade. And, okay, so AOC wants to impeach a couple of the justices for lying under oath. Well, I mean, who got la- lie, uh, perjured? Purge before Congress. When's the last some time they got someone for that? Probably never uh, that I know of. And uh, a peachable offense, that's high crime and misdemeanor, pretty vague. I mean, that's why I, uh, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, all of them, they're all war criminals. So why don't you go with the most, uh, you know, worst impeachable offense? And that's why, you know, it kind of makes you a phony in my eyes, the whole squad thing, like, or Jai dry, dry anyone. If, uh, that's like at the top of my mind that this man's a war criminal. I'm sorry, even Chris Smalls, the Amazon labor leader, maybe he wasn't thinking about it, but I don't know how you meet with someone like Joe Biden and not like that's not the first thing on your mind. And that's another well, thing. Well, about- I, listen, I'm not going to honestly, I have a hard time faulting Chris Smalls for anything because what he did is heroic. He put his whole life on the line, got fired, got belittled by Amazon. They insulted him privately, said we need to make the, this guy the face of the organizing against us because they were so contemptuous of him. And then he goes and then he goes and he organizes every single day, like is in that tent across the warehouse and he wins. So if he feels that helping the meeting with Joe Biden will help him out, then I'm not going to question that. Yeah. Because he did it. He did it. He did it. He achieved an actual victory. So who am I as someone on the sidelines who's just a, you know, like observing from from the side to, uh, to to question his his choices that way. I think he can meet with whoever he wants. Hello, I think you're breaking up. All right, well, Anthony, look, thanks for the call. Uh, we'll move on to Fern. Think, Fern, you're not connecting or there's some tech issues that you're having. Can you hear me now? Yes, now we can, yeah. Okay, so I have a sincere question and I I really think it's important when we're discussing the abortion issue to, to realize that there are reasonable and sincere people on both sides and not to just, you know, straw man the, the sincere sincere thoughts and feelings of other people. Um, my question is that um, if you're, if you're um, pro-choice 
and you think that this should be decided on an individual level, um, right down to the single person, why are you so comfortable with it being decided on a federal level um, rather than on a more localized level? Because um, it, it, would you be that comfortable if it's decided in a pro-life way? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but, okay, I understand what you're saying, but that's like saying, why is Jim Crow on a federal level? Would you be okay with it being on a state level? No, because I see this as, I don't care. Look, the the thing is that the federal, having Roe on the books doesn't require anyone to have an abortion, whereas overturning Roe makes it illegal. So it's not, it's not. Roe isn't, it hasn't been overturned though. It's just been sent back to the states where people can decide on it in a more local level. It's right. It's been overturned as a federal. So they're not requiring nobody to get an abortion. What they're doing is saying, hey, wow, this is a super contentious issue. We think that people should be able to decide it in a more local way, not just a federal one blanket decision for the whole country. Because it's a, it truly is a contentious issue that that sincere people, right? So, but and so, reasonable right, people can disagree on, right? But you're okay with other people deciding, not the person who's going to have the abortion. You're okay with, well, and there are way, lots of, there are a lot of pro, pro quote unquote pro life people. There are a lot of Catholics who personally oppose it, but think it should be a decision between a woman and her doctor, which is kind of I think a respectable position. I actually haven't stated how I feel about it personally. Right. Um, So that, you know, um, but what I'm, what I'm trying to do is talk about this um, in a way that, in a way that doesn't straw man the beliefs of, of other people. We really have to deal with this as a nation. Aaron, I'm looking at you. You're an extremely thoughtful person, not to exclude you from that, Katie, but Aaron, you're a very thoughtful person. Um, and I think that that this issue will be much better served with real dialogue than it is by just saying those people over there who are horrible and have no good ideas. You know, it, that's not the case. There's a lot of sincere people who are not trying to um, hurt women, but but really do see a life. And so. What they would say to that question you asked, Katie, is that, yeah, you're making a decision for somebody else. That's a that's a human life. So, yeah, either way, somebody's making a decision for somebody else. There's somebody making a decision for a woman. There's somebody making a decision for a baby. You know, um, so it's or Zygo, I would say. But, yeah, well, I tried to I tried to express some acknowledgement of the anti-choice position today on Monday morning when I I said, I get it, that people who are anti-choice believe that abortion means killing babies. And so understandably, they're going to be very, very passionate about this and want to save the baby's life. So I get it. It's um, And then there's also the issue of at what point is it no longer viable to have an abortion? That's a huge issue. Yeah. That's a huge issue. Where is that line drawn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I get it. So I, I do think there are people – I don't think everyone on the anti-choice side are just extremists who want to violate women's uh, bodily autonomy. But I do think there's a lot of people who are that way, and I think they need to be called out and challenged. 
and uh, the um, but I agree with you. It's complicated, and we need to speak about it in as empathetic a way as possible. But it's just difficult, and I totally understand anyone who is feeling outrage right now, which is what what was happening because this is an assault on women's bodies, even if there are people who support the decision who don't feel that way. So I just think uh, it's it's complicated, and it's not. For me personally, there's not only so much I can say as a uh, as a uh, male because uh, it's it's not it doesn't directly impact me. So I just think this needs to be a woman led conversation. And uh, but I think it's to- also under- just as it's understandable to me why people would oppose something that they think is killing a baby. I also totally get why people, why women on on the, on the other side, are defending what is a right on their bodily autonomy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, both sides really have valid points, and 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 the line where the line is. I think that's where we, as a nation, if we want to like stay a nation, really, we have to we have to contend with these issues in a way that doesn't dismiss half the country. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's a lot of issues. There's more than one issue like this. But it's not. Where, it's not half the well, country. Well, if you put the line somewhere, and I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, but if you put the line somewhere, you know, so if, if, if one person says it's eight months and another person says it's seven months and another person says it's circumstance X, you know, everybody's putting their line in different places. So whether or not that's half the country depends on where you put the line and how you ask the question in reality. And I'm not trying to win any points here. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I really think that we need to, discuss this as a nation in a more open way that that includes people and doesn't exclude sincere people from the conversation and as much as we want to call out so and so okay it's been done they're called out now sincere people at the table what can we do here got it fern thanks for calling in and making that point yeah thank you okay i mean i think those people have their you know, I don't feel that I understand that the discussion can be overly vilifying and dismissive. And I do get that if people think these people are these fetuses and zygotes are people, I get that that makes it a sad thing for them or a hard thing for them. But they also but it's not about them, Katie. That's, what about that's them? the thing. It's not about them. It's about the other people. It's about, I mean, uh, they make it as it's is uh, as you said nobody's forcing anyone to have an abortion okay and if i think that I, I'm, I'm catholic or i think that something is some way i make it about me and it's a healthcare issue it's a healthcare issue that's a fact and they can do things like putting psychologists to see if a woman is just doing it going through an abortion because she's depressed or because she doesn't have any money and she really wants to have the baby and and support that woman. But the only way is making it legal yeah. so that woman can get the help. You can get the numbers. I mean, it's it's in every way it's positive, even for the ones that think, because there's a lot of women that might find themselves wanting the baby but in a position that... Maybe they feel they are alone. They are, and that's the thing. How how do you reach them? Yeah, I mean, I think it is true, and I think part of the problem with Roe is that it didn't. Um, 
it I think the Democrats kind of forgot that they had to make the case, even though, again, public uh, opinion is is pro-choice, pro-Roe, and that it should be uh, decided between a woman and her doctor or a pregnant person and their doctor. Um, but I do think that this whole thing about having a discussion, yeah, that would be great. I think we should have a discussion, but this is also the world works through powerful people. What happened is the Supreme Court decided this and um, they certainly don't leave room for any nuance. They're not respectful of other people's opinions. They're not respectful of other people's like uh, and bodies. Economy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, so, well, I, I, I won't speak more about the abortion. I already spoke many times with you about it. Um, no, I wanted to say uh, one thing. Well, actually, two. Uh, though it's very refreshing that uh, this criticism of uh, the the U.S. Uh, uh, exterior policies, I think that somehow we are letting, as another caller said, we're letting Europe off the hook in many ways. I mean, Britain uh, has colonies, has Gibraltar, has Malvinas, has Diego Rivera, and it's like in a way i mean and of course not to mention our very devoted and useless governments in latin america that helped a lot because we should give them credit too because if if it wasn't for them working so hard to do nothing that would be also another another thing but uh, somehow we are we are not recognizing that this is as this imperialism as a world issue as a powerful country's issue and uh, there's this thing that happened during the summit that uh, they that biden uh, met in a private lunch with uh, the presidents and the representatives of the country that the presidents were there and <laughs> he said that um they were they, that they were preparing that they, that that third world world war three was imminent and that they were putting a lot of um, aircraft and weapons uh, in asia because of course because of china and this of course leaked because i mean they're latin american and um and canada <laughs> trudeau was there and he stated that, yeah, that, that it was really sad, as if they were together in this, that they had to spend all that money in, in that and they couldn't, listen to this, they couldn't put money in, in helping Latin America develop, but they, all, they only could afford to uh, help democracies, to tribe or whatever it was. I, I don't recall the phrase exactly now. So what is this thing of going because I, I've heard it in, in the newspapers like calling the the UK and now Canada and what is this advertising of a future World War Three about? Advertising about future World War Three. Well that's something yes. that that like critics of war will point out, but I didn't realize that um, you're saying that people are, are saying it's going to happen. 
Well, Britain, uh, well, I, I, it was in the garden, I think. Um, the U.S. called Britain to, to step up and yes. And uh, then it was this talk. And, yes, yes it's like there, there was a happening. there was a British general recently who said we need to get ready for war with Russia. So oh, yeah, yes. there are some people talking like that. Look, they're crazy. They're crazy. These people. They don't really know what war really means. I suppose they don't fully appreciate that they're basically calling for a nuclear holocaust. But they hate Russia so much, and they're so obsessed with imposing their idea of a you know Western led order that they can say these crazy things and not. Think through the implications. Uh, we're going to take next caller because we only have limited time okay. left and we have a big queue. So thank you. Thanks for the call. Okay. Okay. Dennis. Dennis, don't be a menace. Hey. And unmute yourself. Okay. Microphone button in the bottom right. Going once, going twice, going three times. All right. Sorry, Dennis. Owen, you are next. Sure thing. How are both of you today? Good, thanks. All righty. I'll just ask my question real quick because I know there's a long queue behind me. So whenever you're ready for my question, please let me know. Yep. Sure thing. Uh, my question is, if you are not part or representative of a monetarily powerful group or organization within our capitalist society, how are working class voters supposed to believe that any politician is aligned with their economic interest in our oligarchical country that continues to wear its weathered cloak of faux democracy? Are you asking if you're saying how can any politician who's not part of the working class be trusted? Oh, well, I'm basically asking um, how can any specific voter who's not part of a, uh, like a super PAC or an organization with a bunch of monetary power supposed to believe that a politician is on their side when it comes to them uh, ideolo- uh, ideolo- ideologically? Or, I guess, like, uh, economically, when we live in an oligarchical society that basically controls all of our politicians. Yeah, it's a great question. Look, we have no power unless we all mobilize together. And power is invested in dividing us and making sure we don't get together and organize around issues that affect us all. You know, health care, wages... Why has there been no movement on that? Why are wages so stagnant? Why do we not have health care? It's because we haven't sufficiently organized. So you raise a great question. How do you have your voice heard if you have no monetary power? It's very, very difficult. And um, our rulers are very good at keeping us divided. Could you maybe define your definition of uh, organizing, Aaron? Like what you would uh, call organizing at this certain time? Well, you know, having strikes like the kind that Dr. King was organizing before he was assassinated, these things have happened in in U.S. history, and we've forgotten about them, but there's a precedent for them. I mean, you know, around the time of the New Deal, there's a huge amount of workers' strikes and protests that 
led to all these victories. And so there's no reason why it couldn't happen again. It's just very tough right now because there's been this decades-long assault on unions. The anti-war movement has been totally neutralized and divided by things like Syria and by also, I think, by Russiagate. Russiagate did a great job, I think, of sapping liberals and progressives of their organizing energy and instead of putting faith in the CIA and the FBI to somehow hold power to account. So it's difficult. Mm. It's difficult. Do you think possible. that uh, any sort of strikes nowadays could be successful without any uh, mutual aid or economic community support within certain areas? Well, I think all these things make uh, strikes and worker actions a lot more tenable. I mean, look at the Amazon workers. They had a lot of mutual aid there and they worked really hard and they won. You know, So that's, a, that's an example of a contemporary successful strike and Starbucks workers have been doing it too. It's just difficult. There's so many, there's so much power lined up against working people. It's, it makes it tough, but you know, history gives us plenty of examples of how that can be successful. It was helpful when we when there was a communist party, honestly, that was helpful. That because FDR was probably, you know, FDR was probably the best in terms of economic policies and he was very patrician um, did not live a working class life at all. So I think there are a lot of different, I think what you're saying is right. We live under an oligarchy, but I also think as Aaron is saying, there are certain historic factors, historical factors and structural factors that shape that. And we, mm. and FDR famously said, and maybe apocryphal, but you know, a, a, a Philip Randolph came to him with, with demands for civil rights and um, economic rights, and he said, FDR said, said to have said, okay, sounds great, now go out and make me do it. Mm. Well, thank you both so much for answering my question, and I uh, can't wait to hear the next caller, so I'll get off. Thank you. Thanks, Owen. All right, Afini. Hello. Hi, welcome. You? I heard you, your, um, I heard your speech. It was great. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I don't want to take up too much of y'all time because, you know, Katie, I can be long-winded. So I'm going to just hurry up and say what I got to say before I, you know, lose it. But <laughs> I just really want to come on here and say, like, you know, number one, there is no such thing as a reasonable pro-life person that does not understand that their personal belief does not have anything to do with, uh, with what other people do with their bodies. So you can't say that people are reasonable if they're still trying to force people to give birth if they don't want to, period. Y'all didn't even want to wear masks. Y'all didn't want to get vaccinated. And I support your right to not do that. So that means you should support support my right to keep the government's hands off my goddamn body as well. Um, and I also just wanted to say, like, as an organizer, you know, I look at, you know, some of the movements on the right. Like, they're doing, they're creating a movement on the right, or they have been um, really pushing this movement on the right to do a, a constitutional convention. Um, and these people are 30% of the country. And the people that want this white ethno state are also an even smaller minority of those 30%. So we have to really think that a lot of the people power is on our side. We see all, this, all these strikes that are happening across the country. Like, how can we start to link these militant labor movements that are happening all over the country and create a real movement for a, cons a constitutional convention to rewrite the Constitution in the image of the country that actually exists? Not what the white people want it to exist and look like, but what actually exists. 
Um, so, you know, I'm just, me personally, I'm very frustrated. Um, and I feel like a lot of the conversations that we're having aren't really talking about, aren't really centering the amount of power that we have. And the fact that all of the tools, like Aaron said, the history, all of that stuff is there. We just have to follow the blueprint. And at this point, as a left movement, we just, we need to be talking about organizing and what the history of organizing has looked like in this country. And that's it. Because my life is in danger as a black woman. Your life is in danger as a woman, Katie. And any person of color that is in this, <laughs> that is in this calling also knows their life is fundamentally in danger. So, you know, we are operating from a different place of urgency. Um, and I just, I just really want to hear more people focusing on that. Like, I get how everybody feels, but turn your rage into real action because we can change things if we decide to. That's Amen. all I wanted to say. Thank you. I co-sign all of that enthusiastically. And I'm going to check your DMs, Afini. I got you. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Um, William. William, unmute, please, by clicking the mic at the bottom right of your screen. Hello, can you hear me? Yep. Yes, we can. We could, but now you're muted again, so please click that thing that you would... Yep, there you are. Speak, please. (laughs) Hello. Hi. Hi, okay. Um, Regarding civil rights, I wanted to say as a self-represented litigant, trying to work through the courts um, and being on Facebook with a lot of groups till I got banned, uh, trying to represent ourselves in our court system is an absolute debacle. Mm. And um, for example, give you a little history context. I was arrested illegally four times for reporting white collar crimes and litigating in the courthouse. This is a true story. And I responded to, and I have uh, uh, corroborating evidence I can send you all if you're interested, if you give me an email address. Um, I responded to our DOJ task force on corruption here in Connecticut, Attorney Deidre Daly, calling for people to come forward with reports. And then I decided I'm disabled, retired, to actually get in the courts and start acting as a civil litigant for myself. It's called pro se. And, uh, oh boy, the... Absolute three-ring circus and abuse of civil rights. And I can get into great detail about every case. But, you know, we try through many means. Of course, you have the great protests, you know, the the workers uh, trying to get, you know, rights. Uh, we have people, you know, acting with civil disobedience to try and get some attention. What I found in my Facebook groups till they banned me was that I heard this from not only people around this country, but around the world that when the people who were not able to afford a lawyer who tried to represent themselves, it is a cauldron of corruption. Uh, Can you still hear me, Katie? Yes, yes, we we can hear you. Yes. Okay. For example, let me give you another example. Deidre Daly, the head of the DOJ task force of corruption at the time, Trump fired her, by the way, and everything went down the toilet. So much for draining the swamp. She indicted the 
<laughs> CPA appointed my father's probate matter for fraud and Ponzi scheme. He went to prison. I reported to her. Now, when people are corrupt, of course, they're not just corrupt with Bill. And so they built a case against him. He ended up in prison. I went to four corrupt judges, a corrupt executor. I was told by the uh, staff attorneys at the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Haven, 157 Church Street, I was going to be meeting with Deidre because I also filed motion to recuse judges. I studied the law. I'm not a lawyer, but I have a degree in resource economics. And I was offered a grad assistantship. My history is I worked on federal Superfund sites uh, in uh, operating heavy equipment as a lead operator with security clearances. Never had an arrest or even a parking ticket till this fiasco. And um, so Deidre indicted Castellano. Nothing else happened because Trump fired her and they started blocking my calls. And when I drove to 157 Church Street, when I could still drive, they refused to meet with me even though I had a motion in my hand to recuse a corrupt judge, which I got recused, the first judge in 260 years not to be reinstated to the bench here in Connecticut, Judge Emmons. Now, of course, she wasn't just corrupt with me. I made my reports to Mina Gonzalez on the House Judiciary Committee, was thanked, and she ran the hearings uh, that were involved with. See, what happens here in Connecticut is the judges are appointed by the governors, and every eight years they come up for reinstatement, and the public gets to bring their cases you know, of objections, whatever. William, and, I'm gonna, William, I'm gonna have to cut you off because we have to go very soon. We still have a long okay. queue. But what I really hear from you is that, you know, trying to go it on your own in this legal system is such a uphill battle. And I salute you for your efforts. And I, I, I wish you best of luck because I know how hard it is. So thank you for sharing well, your story. All right, thanks, Aaron. Thanks for all you do, you guys. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Okay. You can Travers. message us on this app. Travers. Yeah. And then we're gonna wrap it after this call. So Travers, go ahead. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Great. Um, Slight change of topic, but um, do you think that Texas should be allowed to um, set up its own country and secede from the U.S.? Uh, Well, not really, because Texas is is founded on stolen Mexico. So it's like you can't establish yourself on stolen land and then decide to secede from the country that you were stolen into. If you're going to make any moves like that, you should just go back to Mexico. So that's how, I mean, that's, that's my, that's my take on that. Aaron is part of the M T M a crowd, the Metma crowd, make Texas, Mexico again. That's right. Okay. (laughs) But then shouldn't Mexico go back to Spain? Shouldn't America, well, shouldn't most of America go back to the American Indians? Do you see where I'm going? Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I support that. I, I'd love to be ruled by Native Americans rather than our current monsters. So, sure, let's do it. Because the way I look at it, you know, it, if you go far back enough in history, then it gets pretty damn crazy, to be honest, because you can justify almost anything, you know. Um, but you can't. Seeing, yeah. No, no, that's OK if you had a point. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, just, I haven't debated this issue ever of, of Texas. Secession, so uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's kind of why I wanted to talk about because obviously I'm I'm not Texan. Well, maybe not obviously, but I'm not Texan or anything. I spent a little bit of time there two decades ago, mm-hmm. um, but it was its own independent nation for a while, for ten years. Now, you know, I'm after, not crazy on after being politics. stolen from after being stolen from Mexico. Correct. Yes, but you have that movement of theft 
of land going around everywhere. Look, I'm Irish. <laughs> I'm a small country, you know, um, small country had to break away from a much larger one, an empire. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and un- unbelievably had to do it violently. And uh, for a tiny country being the first to succeed, that was a big deal. It's why Indian flags, the same as the Irish flag, they took their constitution and everything from Ireland because we were the first colony to break. Okay, I shouldn't say first because technically you guys did it first, but like in modernish times. Um, but the point I was going to make was that they were recognized because I think they had an embassy in Paris. If I'm not, I don't think in London, England, Britain gave them one, but they did have one in Paris, I think, uh, for about 10 okay, years listen, or so. Travers, we're doing too deep a dive yep. here in history. That, yeah, no way. Yeah, no way. Uh, but thanks for raising the issue. Yeah, it's worth thinking about because that would have a knock on effect for other states because the Constitution of the U.S. has amendments to allow you to join. Mm-hmm. But there's actually not, or not amendments, but it, it has accommodations to allow you to join, but not, it, it, it doesn't say anything on leaving. Whereas Britain with Brexit, all these countries in the EU, and you would think of them like states maybe, all of them, it is in the EU constitution. There are um, ways in which you can leave. In the U.S. Constitution, there's none, which is kind of crazy, because if you think of Hawaii, they have the same problem. They're now incorporated into the United States, and it's in, once you're there, it's Hotel California. You can check yeah. in any time you like, but you can never, ever leave. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Amazing this. And, guys, thank you all for coming to this call-in. I'm going to do a call-in tomorrow night at 8.15, the Katie Halper Show call-in. So I invite you to that. But also make sure that you come to our call-in next week. We do it every week at 11. Oh, wait, Aaron, are we going to take 4th of July off? Uh, is that a Monday? Yes, I think. So we, we may, if we, so, but besides, well, we'll, we'll let you know. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, just listen to what my country wants me to do. And I will, I will serve the country duly. If it tells me to do the show, I will do it. Yeah. We're going to, if it wants me to, you know, but the country country will decide. The the patriotism will decide. The patriotism will decide. But, um, definitely every other, uh, Monday at 11 a.m., perhaps this Monday, but, uh, Mondays at 11 a.m. Check out this call-in. Also check out our um, Monday morning Monday morning show where we go over the Sunday morning news shows that we watch so that you don't have to. Subscribe to Useful Idiots, uh, usefulidiots.substack.com. Also subscribe to our video channel, youtube.com slash usefulidiots. Subscribe to Aaron's uh, call-in and subscribe to my All right. And I will see you. And also, I do my show Sunday, uh, whoops, Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. So that's youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Then I do a call-in and follow Aaron's great show, Pushback on the Gray Zone. All right. See you all next week. Bye. Bye, everybody.